Good morning. We're going to invite everyone to come on in and get a seat. Otherwise, I have to do my introduction twice, and nobody wants to hear me twice. So. <laughs> Grab someone out in the fellowship hall and bring them on in. They're definitely going to want to hear this next speaker. Good morning to everyone that's here. I'm really excited that uh, folks have come out this morning. And I have a special request for everyone that's here this morning. There are a lot of folks, such as myself, who don't necessarily make it into the earliest hours of our fellowship here. So you've got a special responsibility today. For everyone that comes in later, you need to tell them what you learned this morning. Okay, so we need to spread this word around here. So Wyatt's going to share with us here for about 30 minutes, and then we're going to um, uh, switch speakers and get to hear from a second speaker right after that. But first, let me tell you just a little bit. I, for, I forgot my notes. Hang on one second. Yep. Eddie said I didn't get an intro, so you don't, the intro guy doesn't get an intro, so you know the thing right here. I have to have the stock notes before I go into the... Um, my, my version of events. So this morning, our first speaker is Wyatt Gwynn with Emmanuel and Associates. Many folks around here know Wyatt. Many folks have been on mission trips with Wyatt, but there's maybe some people here this morning who have never had the opportunity to get to uh, meet Wyatt in person, get to learn more about his ministry. Um, the Emmanuel and Associates is a ministry that develops Go Teams. Okay, I'm going to explain a little bit about that and why it will elaborate on it. He said, and this comes from churches in the United States that take short-term mission trips to churches in the United Kingdom. The principal job of the GO teams is to support the local UK church by working with them in the work of outreach and evangelism while also bringing encouragement to the local fellowship. GO teams' missions consist of helping the host church in various ways, including door-to-door evangelism and surveys, open-air preaching or choir and or choir concerts, street and park evangelism, school assemblies, culture talks and classes, sharing personal faith stories in religious education classes, and many more. Now, I got that from Wyatt's website, so if you want to get the full scoop, you just go over to his website. I'm sure he'll plug it here in just a moment. That's the Robbie version boiled down on that. Here's the deal. If you've ever uh, considered going on a mission trip and the group says, okay, we're going over to, to some place and we're doing a construction project and you go, uh-oh, I don't know which end of a hammer to use. Uh, the last time I used a saw, you know, this is all I got left in my hand, then maybe you might want to be thinking about something different. And then they say, okay, okay, we got a medical team. We're going down here. We're going to be doing a lot of medical stuff. And you're you know, you get queasy just thinking about the word doctor, okay, on this thing right here. All right. Well, that's kind of the way I was. And then Wyatt comes in, and he says, look, the, we've got an opportunity here to do something for folks that if you're a Christian, you can plug in. And you don't have to have the gift of evangelism, but if you're a Christian, you should be willing to go out and do the work of an evangelist. And Wyatt allows with his teams the ability for you to get on-the-job training. He will teach you when you arrive what you need to do. So you don't have to have a big skill set and everything to be able to, to go on one of these trips. You just have to be willing to serve the Lord. 
I've been on a few trips with Wyatt. It's a lot of fun with him. He has a um, motorhome. It's cool. It's got the steering wheel on the right-hand side. I'm amazed at how he makes all those nice, cool turns and everything without uh, running over uh, action. But he's able to travel all around the U.K. in that motorhome while he goes from the different churches that uh, the ministry is working with. So anyway, we're real excited, Wyatt, about you being here today. Uh, we really love you, brother, and we look forward to an update from you. Thanks. You hear me? Okay, there we go. Uh, about two months ago, I sold a motorhome. <laughs> yeah, I can't, they offered me a deal I couldn't refuse. They said they'd give me what I paid for it four and a half years ago. So I said, okay, that sounds like a good deal. And there's a lot of things breaking down on the motorhome anyway, so I got the best deal out of that. But anyway, we're going to show a short video, which you'll recognize a lot of people from the video, because uh, uh, I'm trying to think of uh, Brian Reed is, is the guy that you, you, you guys help, helped us make this promotional video a few years ago, and we'll start off with that, and it gives some of the ideas about what we're doing. So if you're ready, go ahead. Emanuel and Associates started many years ago when I was in Jackson, Mississippi and heard a, an English pastor, preacher, share the great need for the gospel in the, in the United Kingdom. And so in 1982, I came over here for six weeks to work with a mission agency. And uh, I went door to door and spoke in the open air and found that he was telling the truth that many people not only did not know the gospel, they didn't really understand who Jesus really was either. A, a tough time, I think, spiritually in Britain. It's been uh, a country that's been spiritually in decline for a long, long period. I think the last time that significant numbers even went to Sunday school would have been my grandparents' generation, but they were also the generation that stopped going once they reached adulthood. So in a neighborhood like the one that I minister to here in Bristol, um, we're dealing with three generations that have never had any formal connection to church. So we're dealing not just with the children who don't come, we're dealing with the parents who have never been, and the grandparents who, if they went, went for a very short period of their lives, but may have had no um, historic connection to church at all. Well, if we talk about the state of the church in Exmouth, there are quite a few churches, but the only problem being is if we've got 42,000 people living in Exmouth, there is not a 1,000 people who go to church. And that's quite sad. There's a huge heritage in the Welsh people. It's a land of revival, but it's over a hundred years since the last major movement of God. And we've got chapels by large numbers without anybody in them. Uh, some of them are just ticking over. Well, we have what we call go teams, gospel outreach teams. 
and we bring them over sometimes from a church or from a conglomeration of different churches and we work mainly with the church here in the United Kingdom to really again engage the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ and also to help disciple them but the teams come really as a catalyst and an encouragement to the church and come alongside of churches that really sometimes are very discouraged where they haven't seen any growth or anybody saved in some time. And the teams really come and help them experience, uh, you know, more of a, uh, opens their vision and their expands their vision for the church around the world when they come and engage and interact with the Christians here in this country. Our strategy has been basically first is to, to be trained to do the right thing or what we feel like is the right thing so that we'll be, be a little more comfortable doing it. Uh, but to at least learn a little bit about the culture, to be able to um, know some of the answers to some of the questions that would be coming our way. And the next thing was to uh, just get the Word of God into people's homes. We, uh, we actually distributed 1,100 Gospels of John. And uh, so 1,100 homes here in England or in Welland's uh, Garden has has the gospel of John in their homes. Uh, after we did that, then a day or two later, we went back and began knocking on those doors, uh, asking them if they had gotten uh, the information, if they had read it, and in, in hoping that would uh, start up a conversation with them. In some cases, it did. Sometimes uh, our team were able to talk openly about Christ. Sometimes we got uh, what we were told to expect. We got the door slammed in our face. Uh, this nation, uh, it's not like it was years ago. And of course, I fear that what we see here is where America is going to be uh, soon. Well, uh, the team from the States, uh, and that was, has been a, a great blessing to the fellowship. They've done a lot of groundbreaking work for us. They've distributed tracts, raised our profile, distributed Gospels of John, which has been stretching for them, but it's also stretched our fellowship because our fellowship is now moving into the area of, in their own discipleship, of going into their community. It's given them a reason to bring their friends, to bring their family to their homes, uh, people that they've been trying to share the gospel with themselves, it's given them the ability to introduce different friends um, from a different situation uh, who want to share their faith in Jesus. We really believe in the Great Commission. Um, it's, it's great to read things in the Bible it's great to try to understand them from a theological point of view, but now we really feel that God is calling us to go out into all the world, uh, however far that takes us. But we believe the first step is to try to connect with this town and this community. And then as, as God strengthens us, then I believe that God will then, as the pebble goes into the water, uh, will enable and equip us to move out further afield. The reason that uh, I believe that the church has gotten to this state in the United Kingdom and in other parts of the world is we don't take the Great Commission seriously. The Great Commission is not at the heart of what we're doing. We're not training other people to uh, be schooled in the Great Commission and, and, and how to reach out to people and to reach people in their neighborhoods, people in their families, in their friendships, 
and this sort of thing. So that's what we also would like to do. We train people not only here, but people that come over here, how to effectively communicate the gospel to people so that they can go back home in the communities that they live in and also fulfill the Great Commission. Well, one way you can help us is you can come and be a part of a team. Every year we bring teams over, mainly in the summer months because the weather's so much nicer and people are a lot more friendly when the weather's nice over here. But we bring teams in and we work with local churches to do evangelism, to encourage that church to serve them in any way we can and to help engage them in their communities with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, you also could pray for us because we need prayer. We, the, the spiritual darkness in this land is vast. And without prayer of God's saint people directly praying for the souls of men and women and for workers to come into the harvest field here as well. Another way you could help us is you could help support us financially and partner with us to reach people here with the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's our main goal. We want to win souls for Jesus Christ here and train people how to do that themselves uh, in their own localities, in their own communities, in their own churches. So pray for us please, support us please, come please and join us. Thank you very much for listening and may God bless you today. Well, uh, just to start off by saying <clears throat> we, want to, we really appreciate this church. This church is our oldest supporting church. I think you guys started supporting us within the first year of we founding Emmanuel and Associates. And, so, and we've had churches that started with us that have dropped off for various reasons, but I think this is, that's right. This church is, a, is the longest supporting church we've had, so we thank you so much for praying for us, for supporting us, for sending people to work with us. And uh, this summer we have three, uh, possibly four different uh, missions that are going on, go teams that are going on, and all, th all three of them that are, are, are in the works right now need people to come. We, we kind of have a conglomeration of different churches this time. We, we, uh, First Baptist Pelham is sending some people to work with us. And hopefully my home church for the first time, in a, well, we had one guy come out of my church in Georgia. Hopefully we're going to have a team going or some people to fill in there to go to Exeter, which is in Devonshire, which is in the southwest corner of England. We're going to be working with a church called St. St. Paul's, yeah, St. Paul's Baptist Church. And uh, they are a fairly healthy church, but they really have a desire to get their, their church out into their community. And uh, one of my board members is, on, is uh, a member there. He's retired now, and he's going to be leading that mission. Uh, Alistair McKenna, I think that some of you remember Alistair when he was in Sidmouth. I know that Thad was there, and I can't remember to see if anybody else was on that mission trip. But <clears throat> Alistair's retired now, but we, we're really looking forward to a great missionary because he's really good at organizing these missions. And then we have a, 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 a team going to a place called Beer Regis, and that's spelled B-E-R-E, not B-E-E-R. <laughs> anyway, and that's a, a fairly small little congregational church, but they're really sharp people, and we're really excited about that. And then later on in September, this is in June, end part of June, first part of July. The third one we have is in September, and it's in Cornwall place called St. Ives, which is a beautiful fishing village that's become a tourist destination for people all over the UK and Europe. 
and we're working with a church that has eight members. And the pastor recently got discouraged and burned out. <clears throat> and uh, we, uh, the Lord used me and several other friends to, to encourage him, don't bail out when you're, when you're burned out. You know, take a break, which he's done. He's on sabbatical now. But in September, I think it's the 10th through the 19th of September, we're going to be trying to get up a team to go there to help work with that church. In the summertime, they have 80 or 90 people in the service. But the other nine months of the year when the tourists aren't there, they have eight people in their service, mainly older people. But we're excited because God sent a British evangelist gave him a call to come there to St. Ives to work, and he's going to be working with us and with this church as well. So those are the three opportunities, and there's a possibility of a fourth in Scotland on the Isle of Skye, which is way in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> if you ever look at Scotland, the map of Scotland, it's up in the highlands of Scotland. It's an island, basically. And uh, there's a small fledgling church there, but right now they don't even have any place to meet because the Scottish government is so liberal in there. I believe that the head of their the Scottish National Party is a woman who's a lesbian. And she doesn't want to be part of Great Britain anymore, so she's doing everything she can to, to make England mad so that they'll let them go or so whatever. But they've closed all the public buildings to any kind of meetings at all, the church, any other meetings, because of COVID, apparently. But, I mean, obviously that's going to be over in a few months. We hope that we'll be able to have a mission there in, in September as well. But right now, the church doesn't even have a place to meet itself, so you can pray for that. They just, they can rent private buildings, but there's no private buildings now that, to rent. And so they don't know what they're going to be doing for the next few months until they can find a place to meet. But they're in desperate need of a, of a team to come and help them. So that's what we're doing. Uh, you know, we're about the Great Commission, and that's, you know, that's what the video we, 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 we know that God's called us to go, to win, to make, and to multiply. And that's what we are about. We are here to see the gospel effectively communicated into every home in the community that we're there to serve. And we do that in different ways by putting Gospels of John through doors, knocking on doors. And as uh, Robbie was mentioning, there's a lot of different other ways that we can connect with the community. And that's what we find that most of these churches are struggling because they've lost connection with the people that they're called there to minister to, just like the, the nation of Israel did. They were given the gospel, and they, they dropped the ball. And that's what's happening in a lot of churches nowadays, not only there, but here. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, we, we want to try to help them get connected with the people that they're there to serve. And, you know, people are saying, Robbie said, you don't have to be an evangelist to go. Look. All you have to do is be alive and be able to talk, okay? We'll help you with the rest of it, but we're not, it's not a big deal. We just go up and start talking to people. You do it all the time in the grocery store. Wherever you go, you talk to people, especially if you're from the South. You know, you got to talk to people. And, you know, one of the best evangelists that we've ever had came from this church one summer to Welland Garden City, Dave Turpin. Her name is Ann, and I can't remember her last name, but she was 76 years old at the time. And she was amazing. She'd walk up to people and say, Hi, my name's Ann, and I'm an American from Alabama. They don't say Alabama over there. They say Alibama. But anyway, so she, next thing you know, she's leading them in prayer and talking to them and asking if they want to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. 
She was one of the, if, if a 76-year-old woman can do it, you can do it too. Now, not only do we want to encourage you to reach out to the British people, we want to encourage you to reach out to the people that God has placed you around and planted you to do the work, to go, to win, to make disciples, and to multiply God's church. That's what we're about. Any questions? Or any insights or anything that we raised that you might be wondering about? Don't be bashful. You can talk. Okay, thank you, Diane. We, 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 we usually stay with people in the church, in the homes. Like our first mission is going to be the 17th of June through the 27th in, in, in Exeter. And that's a fairly healthy church, so they've got enough bedrooms to accommodate the team. So we've got plenty of room there. Now when we go to the Beer Regis, which is in July, the first part of July, 10 days in July, first part of July, they have a fairly small church, but they can just barely house the people. But they usually house you and feed you if, if they can afford it. Now, the church in St. Ives, obviously, eight people, we're going to have to rent uh, probably a, a B&B, Airbnb or something like that, and it's going to be more expensive. These trips usually cost less than $2,000. This year, it may be a 2000 or a little bit more because of the COVID test the uh, insurance that we're trying to make sure that everybody gets because you know if you, people say well, what if i go over there and i get sick well if you got good insurance you can they'll pay for everything and if you get really bad off they'll fly you back in your own personal hospital jet if you got good get good insurance but also the the test the covid test costs now the british government is like is backed off way further than the american government on that so we need to be praying that our fearless leaders will kind of open up the doors to this because it's just really crazy. I mean, you have to still have to wear a mask for eight hours on the plane going over there and coming back. And it's just crazy. But anyway, um, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be political here, but <laughs> it's a long time to keep a mask on. And the people that have to do that in their work every day around here, you know, I, I have great sympathy for them. Uh, but um, so, yeah. People stay with people in the homes, and uh, when we go to places like uh, St. Ives, we have to uh, we have to rent accommodation. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it depends. It depends on the church and the connections that we have in the community. The, uh, one of the ladies of the eight people in the church in Cornwall was a teacher, and she's a governor of a local school now, so if we can get in that school quickly. Others are more difficult, depending on the headmaster. The headmaster basically has, you know, he is God in a way, authoritarian. He lets who he wants to in the into the school and not. It's not like here where they, they say no, you know, church can go into a public school. Over there, we can go into the public schools because the queen is the head of the church. She's also head of the government, figuratively. So they, they have a hard time denying Christian groups getting in there. You can't go in there and you know, have a revival meeting and call everybody to come down front and get on their face or whatever. But you can share the gospel openly in the schools. And uh, like a common day would be, we, we, we usually, if you're staying with someone, get up and have breakfast there and then you come down to the church or the building wherever we are assembling and we have some training especially for the first two or three days 
And sometimes we can get into schools in the morning, so we kind of have to work around that. But then in the afternoons, we come and we make our own lunch, usually at the church building, sandwiches and that sort of thing. Then we go out in the afternoons and in the early evenings to do our evangelism. Because most people are either, you know, pulling a night shift and they don't want people knocking on their door and waking them up when they're trying to go to sleep. Or they're out shopping or there's a lot of other things. So we, we like the afternoons as you in the evenings the best times to do the evangelism. We do have events. We try to have a barbecue at the, on the Saturday before we leave. And we invite people to come along to that too so that the church can kind of mingle with them. The church in Exeter is really gung-ho about evangelism. So what they're hoping is we can have one British person and one American person go out together as a team to minister into the community. And usually we give you a street and you start praying for that street, knocking on doors and just be like Ann. Hi, my name is I'm an American. <laughs> anyway, we have a lot of other techniques and ways to open up conversation with people. So one thing we tell people don't do is don't knock on the door and say, hey, we're from the church. The door gets slammed real quick. So we work on trying to make them laugh and trying to connect with them and, and that sort of thing. And then we bridge, the, we bridge the gospel. We're saying, do you mind if before we go, do you mind if I ask you a personal question? And that's the transition from being human over to sharing spiritual things. All right, now, what, the first quest, part of the question I didn't understand. What percent of the UK do you say is Christian? My guesstimate, well, 5% of the population attend church. 95% of the population don't. Of those 5% attend church, you're talking about Catholics, Mormons, all kinds of different people that they take. My guess is there's one, maybe 2% of the population, so one out of... A hundred people that you pass on the street in London are, are lost and going to hell. I mean, that, no, excuse me, the other way around. Ninety-nine percent are lost and going to hell. One percent might be, one person might be a Christian. Well, I think, uh, like a lot of things, it depends on how you how you do it. You know, one time I was over in Ireland with a friend of mine named Pat, Patrick, Patty, and uh, he, um, he would knock on the door and say, hi, I'm so-and-so, and, -so and I'm, I'm from so-and-so church, and we want to talk about the Bible. You want to talk about the Bible? He would go, slam the door. I said, Pat, could we just do this a little bit different, you know? We're here to talk about the love of Jesus Christ or other ways, but, you know, we try to ease people into the conversation so that you don't get the door slammed in your face. If you can make people laugh, you've connected with them. And usually when you've connected with people, they'll let you ask them that question. They'll answer the question, you know, like, do you mind if we ask you one question before we go? Or do you mind if I ask you a personal question? They'll usually say, oh, yeah, go ahead. And then you can start off by not confrontational, but we say, like, have you ever heard the word born again before? Most British people haven't, by the way. And so we get to explain to them where that came from. We, you ask questions, you don't preach at people. That's the way I found the best way to do evangelism. Nowadays, if you preach at people and people preach at me, I'd switch off too. So you ask people questions and you ask questions that lead them into a place where they have to realize that there's more to life than just the here and now. And uh, we've, got, we've got the answer. 
So, yeah, well, almost 9.30. I don't want to be over here, so thanks a lot, Robbie, for your, yeah, what you, you want to say something? Yeah, it, it depends on where you are. Like London, if you were asking about London. Uh, London is probably more people go to church in London than any place else, but the reason for that is not because the British people, the English, go to church. It's because London has become a, a world city, a conglomeration of everything. Our church that I pastored in London for 15 years, we had uh, 26 different nationalities in a church of about 150 people. So that's London. I mean, it's like the world. But uh, what, so uh, about how the, uh, <coughs> the British folks are interested in actually leaving America. Does that help? Yeah. You? Excuse me. I got off on London. In London, it's not a much of a big deal because there's so many different nationalities. But you go out into Scotland and you know other places where you know there's not a lot of, of Americans congregating. They yeah they find it very unique that an Americans there knocking on their door. Last, uh, in 2019, we took a team from uh, the, uh, uh, what's it, the Rising Star Church over. And we, they, had, they had one old guy, his name was Buttigieg, believe it or not. I never have met anybody else named Buttigieg in our illustrious uh, administrative guy in the transportation department. He was from Malta, and I asked him about his testimony. He said, well, about 30 years, 30 or 35 years ago, there was an American couple that knocked on my door. <laughs> and because of that, he came to know Christ. And he was probably the guy that kept that little mission hall open that we sent the team from Rising Star that we went over with. So you never know. I mean, you just don't know. And to me, the gospel is not an event. It's a process. We plant seeds. Other people uh, fertilize them. Some people pull the weeds out, and other people harvest them. Usually when you go out and you share the gospel with somebody first time and they say, yeah, I want to trust in Christ right now. Somebody's been praying for them. Somebody's been telling them. Usually I think the Billy Graham Association did a survey a while back. They said that people had to be touched with the gospel seven times before they actually come to faith. And there's another thing, too, a statistic that comes out of there, which is really shameful, and that applies to us, is that 90% of most Christians never share the gospel with anybody. What about you? Eternity's a long time. And there's a lot of people that are going to be facing it without Christ unless we take the message to them. So thank you for having me and thank you for your support and your prayers and everything. God bless you. I'm honored this morning to introduce our next uh, mission speakers, long time a part of our missions family here at our church. I refer to Steve and Becky Cochran. They served the Lord with the mission 
agency known as a bond. It's the same agency under which I was privileged to work uh, <clears throat> back in the dark ages. But uh, interestingly enough, presently they serve in the part of the world where I was honored to be a missionary. Steve grew up on the mission field in Africa, the country of Chad, and Becky grew up in a pastor's home, but was helped spiritually through friendship with high school uh, people, high school fellow students that uh, ministered to her. In time, they both went to Letourneau College in Texas, and they there met, fell in love, and eventually were married. They served in camp ministry for some three years and felt led of the Lord to get additional training. That led them to come to Southeastern Bible College, a school about which you have heard. And uh, uh, it was my honor to uh, be among their teachers. I remember so well, Becky, when your three boys were younger and you were struggling to balance education with raising boys, I remember you sitting up near the front and fighting to stay awake. Now, really, the instruction wasn't all that boring, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless, uh, at uh, Southeastern, they finished their training and were led to the Lord to affiliate with uh, Avant. They served, went forth to serve in the country of Mali in East, uh, West, West Africa and uh, spent some 15 years there and uh, were helping in church planning and leadership training and a whole host of uh, other things that missionaries do. But we thank the Lord for them. And uh, then in God's providence, they were led to serve in Alaska with the same mission agency uh, they are very much involved in leadership in the camp uh, known as Echo Ranch Bible Camp. I was there in Alaska when we helped get that camp ministry started, and the boys initially slept in a haymow. We didn't have any places for them to sleep other than a haymow. But Echo Ranch Bible Camp now ministers to hundreds of young people every summer, and it's a beautiful place. Now, one of the young people who will be helping on that staff this summer is here this morning. I, I would like you, uh, Garrett, to stand up so that people can see. Uh, he's an example of how the Cochran's, thank you. He's an example of how the Cochran's are recruiting uh, people to go and serve there. And uh, by the way, uh, Garrett's going to need support and uh, prayer support and financial support uh, for his expenses there. One other exciting thing, one of the great ambitions of missionaries is to help establish what is called indigenous churches native to the country. And Steve has been very much in, and Becky have been very much in leadership even though they've been working in uh, Alaska. The national church is taking over all the leadership in that part of the world, and we bless God for that. It's a joy to know Steve and Becky, 
and to have uh, had a long time of fellowship with them. Will you please come and minister to us as you're going to do so this morning? Thanks. Well, I think Dr. Hughley pretty much summed it up. <laughs> He's just amazing, and it is kind of neat that we get to stand up here and I, I remember being in his classes, and trust me, they were not boring at all. Um, we just had three little boys. Um, but I remember him talking about GMU, which is what Avant was called back in the day, about, about when we, he and Mrs. Hughley were with GMU in Juneau, Alaska. And I remember thinking, wow, like that's, that's far, and it's cold up there. I don't ever want to go up there. Um, and so kind of funny that here we are. Um, but we just, we also want to say, as Dr. Hughley said, y'all have supported us for a long time. We've been with Avant for 21 years now, and you are one of the first churches to support us. And that's not, that's no small thing. So thank you for your faithfulness and for your prayers and your encouragement and your financial support, um, because we really, really, really do appreciate it very much. So I want to take just a couple minutes. People often ask, so where are your kids now? Because they don't go up to Alaska with us all the time, although they've been able to visit. Um, they're all big boys now doing their own thing. So uh, two out of three of our boys are married now. Johnny, our oldest, is married to Liz and living right in Hueytown. Um, and then Josh, our middle, is currently living at home with us. And then Danny, our youngest, just graduated in May from Laterno University, which there's a theme there. Um, but he graduated from Laterno in May and a week later got married and is now living in Longview, Texas. So that's where our guys are. They're doing well, and we love being able to spend time with them whenever we can. Um, and as Dr. Hughley also mentioned, we can't ever come and not say something about Molly. <laughs> we were very glad to see our flag right there. That, that made me happy. Um, I knew this was going to happen. But we're in Alaska, and we love Alaska. But we're also very much in Molly. Our hearts will always be there. And so we're super excited and also emotional, as you can tell, um, with Steve is leaving on March 22nd and will be returning April 1st, Lord willing, um, to go and do what we call the official passation, the, the passing off of the mission to, um, to our Mali church leadership. This is what we always want. <laughs> it's what we're working toward, always. Um, and we're super excited. We're super excited. Um, it's been kind of a tricky seven years since we have not lived there full-time to kind of be in both worlds all the time and handling finances and leadership and things like that. And so he is going over with signed power of attorney to um, pass this off. So this is wonderful rejoicing. Um, and a little sad, too, um, just because this is the next step, and we just feel one step further removed, but we will always be there. <laughs> you will always hear us talk about Molly. Um, promise you that. Um, so anyway, that's what's going on there. But as much as we love Molly, we love Alaska, we love Echo Ranch. God is doing amazing things there. And um, so I'll turn it over to Steve, and I'll come back and tell a story in a minute or two. So we do tend to laugh that God would send us to Alaska. We know he has a sense of humor that 
for me, for particular, who grew up just in the Sahara Desert and then worked in Mali, and now we're like, yeah, in the winter wonderlands of Alaska. God must be laughing about that one. And Garrett, um, for sure, we will not put you in the hay pile, but you're welcome to go sleep in the hay if you want. Um, there is a place like that. They still have horses, and there's plenty of hay to sleep on if you want to. Uh, so, yeah, about camp. Um, the segue of listening to our prior speaker is just amazing. To know that the gospel is the most important thing. It is what brings newness of life. Uh, and you might be thinking, well, why Alaska? Dr. Hughley can tell you uh, from many years ago, uh, Alaska is actually quite a, a, a liberal and godless place. There's a lot of darkness there. There's a lot of depression, very high suicide rates. Uh, amongst the native peoples, there's virtually no churches. Um, and uh, when the Hughleys were up there, they began planting churches. And out of that ministry, Echo Ranch Bible Camp became a thing, reaching the youth. And, um, and it's still that way. Probably 70, around 70, 75% of our campers are not church kids. Uh, many of them will say, oh, yeah, they'll come to camp each year. And they'll be like, this is the only church I get in a year. Uh, and yet they hear the gospel, and that statistic about hearing the gospel over and over is true. So if we can get them to come from when they're little to when they're leaving out of high school, they will have heard the gospel many times and more than seven years in a row, and many of them do come to Christ, and many of them do accept the gospel, and we see changed lives, and it's very exciting. But it's hard. Many of the kids really do come out of places that, that really are hard. Uh, and, and it either hardens their heart or it prepares their heart. Uh, this is a few years ago. Um, one young man was brought to where they do registration to go to camp, and he was definitely very down. Uh, and uh, Parker, who is now our um, program director, he's married and everything, he's our program director, but he was 19 at the time, a new counselor that year. He calls himself a punk kid from those days. He's just a punk kid. I didn't know what I was doing, he says. And this kid shows up. He, they get him registered, and the father tells Parker, he's just, I want you to know my son's really going through a hard time. He'll be in your cabin, but his mother just committed suicide just five days ago. And Parker's 19 sitting going, how in the world, what do I do? What do I say? I don't even know. And, and he's just kind of spiraling into this place of like, I don't know how to deal with this. This kid needs real counseling and help and grief uh, talks and, and everything. And, and the, the director at the time came up to Parker and said, I'll tell you what, you don't worry about that stuff. Your job is to listen, to talk to, just hear, hear his story and to share the gospel. Let God do the rest. And so Parker's like, okay. And you know, that's what he did. He took some extra time, make sure he sat, listened to the kiddo, shared the gospel as well as in our chapel times, the gospels get shared by the end of the week. That oh boy came to know the, uh, Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. That's the difference. He goes home, his brother comes to another camp because they're a different age group uh, at that year. His brother, same thing happens. And that brother comes to know the Lord. They spend the rest of their years, about another four years, coming to camp. Uh, and then they near the end there, after high school, they don't come anymore. But at the end of high school, when they were both graduating and they knew they're not coming back, they asked, can we do a funeral for our mother out at camp? And we'd like to spread the ashes uh, there at the beach. And uh, they said, because this is a place where we found peace. It's one of the most peaceful places on earth. 
That's what the gospel did. That's what the truth did. It, it broke through the darkness and, and just the, the spiritual vacuum, I guess, that's uh, often seen in, in the places of southeast Alaska and up and down the islands and places like that. And so we see a lot of that, and the gospel becomes obviously the point, uh, the important place of that. And we love to watch how it makes a difference in kids' lives. Every year there's unique stories. I was just going to have Becky share a couple of unique stories from this past summer, uh, just some, just a couple things. I think these yeah. two right here. Yeah, we we don't have time for both. We could go on for a very long time telling stories, and we the have clocks, to. Oh, oh my goodness! Um, but anyway, th- from this last summer, it was really neat. One of our counselors, it was his first year counseling, and he had an, it was the middle of the night. It was it was three or four in the morning. He they were counseling the Colt campers, which are the, our youngest age group, and one of his campers wakes him up. He's like, I don't I don't feel well. And so he's trying to make him feel better. Five minutes later, he's like, I still don't feel well. And when I, when I don't feel, when I feel like this at home, my dad feeds me carrots. And so David was like, okay, anything to get him to go to bed? He was tired. So they go trudging off to the dining hall at like four in the morning, and they're sitting there over a bowl of carrots. And, um, and they are just talking. They're talking. Camper is, is just asking questions, and David was able to really share the gospel with him in that, in that moment, and he just, the light turned on, and that little boy accepted Jesus right there at 4 a.m. over a bowl of carrots when, frankly, David preferred to be sleeping. Um, and it was just so neat. Obviously, huge heart change, life change for this camper, and also for our counselor, who was kind of irritated with being inconvenienced and uh and then he he just did what he was supposed to do and he got to see very firsthand what god does especially through inconveniences and things that perhaps we're we're not all too happy about um so it was just we love what it does in the in the lives of our campers and we love what it does in the lives of our counselors like Garrett coming this summer. Um, we, we don't want to see our summer staff leave at the end of the summer the same people they were in the beginning. Um, we want to see them change and grow, and um, it's why we love being at camp. You bet. We've got a short video. It's four minutes long, and then we'll finish up. When we hear the term missionary, um, generally we do think of missionaries who are going overseas someplace to the ends of the earth, far away. Uh, It's true. That is it. Really, missionaries do nothing more than what the body of Christ is always supposed to be doing. It's just that they're usually leaving their hometown. But when Jesus talks about going to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, he makes no difference. There is the whole point. Either it's in your backyard or it's to the ends of the earth. Somewhere in there, We are sharing the gospel with people. We're sharing that point. That is the mission. And a missionary is someone who knows the truth of the word of God and who knows the brokenness of humanity and is bringing hope to that and says this is the truth. If we live and walk in it, we'll have hope. We'll have eternal life. And that's exactly what this whole purpose, the whole thing that we do here at Echo Ranch is about. One of the things that I love personally about Echo Ranch, as I look at everything that happens here, is the way that uses all the gifts of the body of Christ. 
everything is here. Everything from someone who builds, to someone who cooks, to someone who fixes cars, to someone who preaches and teaches, someone who disciples, it's all here. Hundreds of kids come through these doors. This place provides a venue to gather people, just like a church does. It's a venue where we gather. This place gathers people, hundreds of kids. We put the counselors in cabins with those kids and the counselors sit down and they say, this is the truth. And they are on mission. And they are being missionaries because they're bringing the truth. They're bringing what the church does. And in this context, we believe it's as close to the end of the earth as you can get, but still use English. And that's the language that our counselors use. It's what they know. And that's the beauty of it. They have a high capacity for communication. And so they're able to be the missionary, the mission of the gospel is, is brought by them right into the cabin, right into the ears and the eyes, and ultimately, that's what I always say, ultimately the heart of every person. Uh, and that, that is what we do, that is what missionaries do all over the world. Um, that's our passion. So on the backs of our staff shirts there, it says God matters, people matter, team matters, and ministry matters. And it's in that order. And if we keep those things in that order, we begin to see the world and where they're lost. And we understand they matter. And we understand that as a, a people of God, we are team. And while we break up into smaller teams and do other things, we are called together to work, to put our hands to that. And then, and then you look at ministry, and it's to say the ministry of the gospel to start with. Uh, so that the heart will ultimately know Christ uh, and, and experience salvation for eternity. And so that is the passion of camp, and it makes a big difference. We know we've won, uh, especially with our counselors, right? We know we've won when our counselors come. We've heard this many times, and they'll say, hey, when I got here, I thought maybe I would, whatever professional field they're thinking about, you know, it could be anything. Uh, and then I was going to be a Christian in that field and everything. And then they're like, but now I see it differently. I see myself as a Christian first. 
and I still want to be that professional person in that field or whatever, but I understand that my role first is to be a voice and a light for Christ, no matter where I'm at. That's a worldview change. That's a worldview change, and that's saying the biblical worldview is now the main thing in my life, and God will use me wherever he puts me. And that is amazing. Uh, And that's what we know has happened to so many of our counselors as they begin to step into the trenches. And our role as staff, obviously, think of the, I like the military uh, picture of our counselors kind of in those front trenches. And if you have a soldier in the front trench, not a lot of good if he's running out of bullets, right? If he's running out of food, if he's running out of water. Uh, something, and everybody knows this, like military movements, it's more about supply lines than it is about the soldier on the front line. And our role in that as staff and everything is to help uh, supply our counselors, help encourage them and counsel them and help them learn to share the gospel. A lot like what we heard already this morning will help you know how to share the gospel, share your own testimony, share what God's done in your life in the trenches, in the cabins. And let those kids hear the truth of the gospel. And, of course, they hear it in, in, uh, in the chapels as well. And so a lot of it is about asking good questions about what did you hear today and what's going on in your life. And we see it change lives in so many ways. And it's just exciting. So from the movies, from the video, you also saw a lot of the other things that are happening at camps, not just the counselors. There's, of course, mechanics and people cooking, and there's a nurse, and there's uh, all the facility stuff going on, and work teams. And, uh, and in all of those roles, we're watching God change lives. We had a guy last year from uh, Derek was his name. So incredibly shy. Honestly, we didn't think he would make it through the introduction week. He was so shy, he just could not come out. And we were encouraging him, and he finally decided to stay and everything. And, uh, and he did all of our groundskeeping. He was on the facilities team, all of our groundskeeping and everything. And he just started coming out of his shell. And God's moving in. And by the last week, he's like, I want to be in the cabin. I, I want to do counseling for at least one week. <laughs> so it goes from a kid who can barely tell you his name to someone who wants to share the gospel in a cabin and hang out with campers. And that's amazing. We see that kind of change happen in kids' lives. Uh, there was one guy from a work team that came, uh, and he himself will say uh, he was basically on the verge of being an alcoholic. And he came on a work team because somebody invited him. We had devos and sharing and everything, and he was like, wow, this is not what I expected nor what I've seen, and he was impacted. He came back as a counselor. God started working in his life. Uh, He's just recently married, and he's on fire for God. So something as simple as that. So when you put people to work for the sake of the gospel, God does the work. That's what's so cool about it. It's we're definitely called to be the part that shares and a voice, but God's spirit works. And it's so fun to say, wow, there is power in the gospel. It's not our power. It's not at all that. But we get to watch it and, and, uh, and we get to participate in it. It's part of the calling that he has on our life. It's just really a lot of exciting to see and to just watch people be mobilized, young people be mobilized for the gospel um, and to watch that biblical worldview take the top tier in terms of their heart and what their life is about. And it's really, really great. Uh, a lot of people ask, what is our role specifically? We do share as part of the leadership team. Uh, they call us the ministry director couple, so it's right underneath the, the director. Uh, and so we will fill in for the director if he's gone and things like that. But our main purpose of our role 
is what we say is to guard and guide the ministry aspect of camp. Our director's kind of seeing the overall things. We got all this building and development stuff going. And we get to focus in a little more on the ministry, guarding and guiding it. Make sure we're not slipping. Our culture is no longer very Christian, and it's certainly not uh, in Alaska. It is not the Bible Belt up there uh, and everything. And make sure we're not slipping and make sure that those of us that are engaged in the ministry are actually accomplishing the things that we say we need to do. Uh, And it's also a pastoral role for our staff. Uh, And in the wintertime, uh, we've been coming back to the, the lower 48, doing a lot of traveling, recruiting, following up in a discipleship role with a lot of our counselors as well. We follow up with them and check in on them throughout the year just to see how they're doing and how God is continuing to impact the role and are they living out the things uh, that they've learned at camp. And so there's a lot of discipleship that happens uh, after that. And so as we leave here, next steps, um, uh, Becky shared I'll be going to Mali. And then typically we all get to Alaska mid-April uh, we actually are driving a vehicle up uh, that we purchased for camp purposes, so we'll leave a little bit early, probably around the 12th or so, and we'll be driving up, about 70 hours of driving, so that'll be fun. Uh, and uh, so we'll get up there. So those are some of our next steps as we move forward uh, with that. Uh, there is, in terms of prayer, we would appreciate uh, your prayer as there's a very heavy schedule for us. We've got a lot happening uh, in including international travel and then car travel and just kind of putting all this together. So we appreciate that. Uh, definitely, if, if you could be praying for the week that I get to spend in Mali, uh, it's a precious time. Um, uh, it's a transition time for both the church uh, association there. It's a group of churches uh, that were planted by GMU back when. And, uh, and so that's just that God would bless that and really... Uh, just make it a sweet time for all of us. And then as we move into camp, uh, we have a couple needs. We need more guy counselors. So, so yeah, anybody, if you're willing to offer right now, come on up. No, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, But we do need some young men to step up and to be prepared to spend the summer, and a hard summer, but a great summer, uh, being invested in and investing uh, in the gospel. So we do need guy counselors to be praying that we would get enough uh, for this next uh, camp season. We are trying something new as well, and if you wouldn't mind praying for it, we have partnered with Laterno University uh, to do what we call theology camp. Sounds exciting, but it actually is very exciting for people, our, ca- our campers who have come to know the Lord. It's very much an evangelism ministry to the campers. And we're saying we'd love to have a camp that's more discipleship-oriented. And so we're doing a theology camp. Major theology is all in a week, and they spend a lot more time uh, in the Word instead of activities and things. And this is a first. And we've partnered with the theology department of Laterno for that. Be praying that that goes well. Um, we have 40 open spots, and we'd love to see that full uh, of kids who desire to learn and, and know more about the Lord in a deeper way. And so if you could be praying for that. And again, COVID, uh, we have the reality of running camp with COVID. Alaska is kind of backing off. We did it last summer. We follow the rules and stuff, but be praying just that we can continue to have, because we bring the people together. So, you know, COVID's an issue. Just be praying about that, that we would handle that wisely and that God would give us uh, all the opportunities um, uh, that, that we can have. And we do appreciate the way the Lord has cared for us in that. 
So that's where we're going. We have burned the clock up. It's 10 o'clock. If there's a, we have one minute according to that clock. So. <laughs> It's a very good question. So, uniqueness of Juno. Juno is the only U.S. capital that's not accessible by road, except for Hawaii because it is an island. But Juno is not an island. However, there's just glaciers and mountains on the one side, so you can only get there by air or water. Um, it's the capital city of Alaska. Um, this is Alaska right here. We all carry the map of Alaska. So Juno is right here, um, and it, the the camp serves mainly. Uh, kids from Southeast Alaska. It is the only Christian camping outreach in that whole area of the United States. Uh, so it's the only thing available to the kids. They come on ferries and airplanes and from all over the place and boats uh, to get to camp. And so that's, it is a unique uh, thing. Most of our counselors, however, come from the lower 48. One more question? Anything? Yeah. I would love to. Thank you. <laughs> there are. However, we'll have to book you in a year in advance. Um, we have 20, 20 or 21 work teams coming this summer. Um, there have to be a group of 12, basically one van load because it makes transportation easier. Um, but yes, you can come. Uh, most of it is hands-on work, but there are also other volunteer positions that are available one-on-one -on -one like that. There's also nursing. If you're a nurse, we actually need some camp nurses. Uh, you can come for a week, two weeks, a month, um, and you get your own little place to stay. It's kind of cool, right? And you get a golf cart. Who wouldn't want that? Um, so, <laughs> and we run you ragged, <laughs> literally. Uh, but, but no, there are lots of positions uh, available for volunteering. There's a website, Echo Ranch Bible Camp. You can go on that. But yes, we love our work teams. Actually, they're the backbone of what we do. And when you think about development-wise of the camp, we have to get a year's worth of work done in six months. So when we hit the ground running in April, the first team arrives literally about five days after we get there, and they don't stop until we all leave together. And there's just one after the other. And it adds so many hands and feet to our capacity. It's unbelievable. And we love them, and we've got a little program for them. And you get to go fishing <laughs> or crabbing or something like that. So, yes. Um, and and if, if we need more, just talk to us. We'd love to see something happen. Um, I, our time is up. I think uh, coffee's next. Thanks again, though, to this church for supporting us. Um, and I'll never forget, I believe it was L.G. Wright who asked George uh, to come to probably O'Charlie's. And that's where we sat down and talked. And, uh, and it was from that conversation that this church began to support us 21 years ago. Thank you for walking with us. We deeply appreciate it. May God bless you.